0: This morning, we're going to continue on with this series in First Peter called A Fiery Faith. And I'm going to propose to you that everything that we are talking about as we go through 1 Peter eventually comes back to this faith. Now, the basis of that faith, of course, is grace. But our focus, though, is faith, a fiery faith, a faith that's been through the fire that is now become a fiery, impassioned faith. This is the type of faith that Peter wants to see instilled by the grace of God in all of those who are reading this letter. And my prayer is that that is exactly what God would do for us. Amen, church? Okay, I'm going to just say, ask you that one more time. Amen, church? Amen. Amen, because that means so be it. That means, God, so be it in my heart. Amen. God, build in me a fiery faith. This morning, I want to entitle this message, A High Calling, The Call of God on Our Lives. That's always exciting, any of this sense of destiny. Let me tell you about a, a, an old lady, and unfortunately, this old lady was a rather cantankerous lady, yet a religious lady, believe it or not. Apparently, went to church every week, <clears throat> and <clears throat> she had been overlooked, by her neighbors, and they forgot to invite her to the neighborhood barbecue. Now, they realized their mistake, and they knocked on her door and spoke with her and apologized, and her response was this, it's too late. I've already prayed for rain. You know, how amazing is it that when something bad happens to us, we want to, we want to fight back, we want to defend, and forgiveness can be so hard To find sometimes, I believe that the greatest testimony to the gospel is when the people of God truly, truly, truly learn to love one another. Now, I realize miracles are phenomenal. God uses miracles. Jesus healed people, church, amen. And that ignited something in them a curiosity, a longing, even a faith. That spark that would reach out and say, I believe in Jesus. Miracles are important. But miracles don't always happen. I do believe they happen. People are raised from the church, even in our day, church, even in our day. You may never see a miracle. I've, I've seen them. I, you may never lay hands on someone who's sick and they're instantaneously healed. I pray, though, that that would happen in your life, but it may not. But here is one thing that you can do, and you can do it every day, and you can love when it seems the most impossible to. It. And it is this love that is the hallmark of Christians by love they will know that you're my You Remember when Jesus spoke that in the Gospel of John. Love is absolutely central and is the, the greatest testimony to the Gospel. It, 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 grows, it grows like a fire. It grows like a fire. And if it grows like a fire, then I would say this, that the hurts and verbal barbs against us act like buckets of water to douse those flames. But remember, Peter said, add to your Philadelphia agape. Add to your brotherly love, the love that you have amongst us, this, this agape, this sacrificial love that goes above and beyond the, okay, I'm going to tolerate you. I'll live with you. I'll do the best I can, and I will say the, try to say the right things. and do. And this agape love is sacrificial. I want to talk about that sacrificial love this morning. And I want to talk about this concept of adding agape to your Philadelphia, this call of God. I want to put flesh and bones to that concept then of agape love. And I believe Peter does that for us as we go through 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read in just a moment verses 8 through 13. How many of you know who Robert E. Lee is? Come on now, about every hand should be raised right now. Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee, a general, perhaps the most well-known, famous general of the South for the Confederate Army. (laughs) President Jefferson Davis um, set him in, and he, he, he was considering a promotion for another general called W.H.C. Whiting. Whiting, however, became very jealous of Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee excelled, he was a people person, and yet he was a go-getter, he was full of tremendous boldness and fire, and he, he won the, the heart of the President of the South, the Confederacy, he won the heart of the people, the soldiers, and Whiting became very jealous of him and actually began to spread rumors amongst the people about Robert E. Lee. So when, when, when Jefferson Davis came to Robert E. Lee and explained that he wanted to give Whiting this very significant promotion, he asked for Robert E. Lee's opinion about Whiting. And it's recorded that Robert E. Lee began to endorse and actually highly praise General Whiting. And the fellow officers pulled Lee aside and asked him if he had forgotten Whiting's horrendous, slanderous accusations, rumors that he had begun to spread about Lee. And this is what Lee said. This is how he responded. I understand the president wanted to know my opinion of Whiting, not Whiting's opinion of me. That's love. In the face of a man that opposed him out of the other man's jealousy, Lee took the high road and he actually praised him because he saw the gold in Whiting and the good that was there and the impact, the positive impact that he could have for the South, and he praised him. He did not throw barbs. He did not speak against him he did not slander him as whiting had done to him and he responded in love it's been said blowing out someone's candle someone else's candle will never make your candle shine any brighter amen newscaster david brinkley once advised he said this a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him That is what I want to do. I need more bricks (laughs) to build what God has called me to build. I'm sure you do too. Just realize that some of those bricks will be hurled at you. They will find their mark and they will hurt. And God is calling you to take that high road and take that brick and lay it as a foundation for you to stand upon. This is what Jesus did. What bricks have been thrown at you lately? And what have you done with them? Have you thrown them back? Oh, goodness, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I don't mean to laugh at this point. This is actually a serious question. I'm just reminded of Home Alone in New York City. <laughs> oh, Lord, get me back on track in Jesus' name. Oh, the things in your pastor's mind sometimes. Wow. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's do this. Let's read some scriptures, and we can dig into this concept. What bricks have been thrown at you lately, and what have you done with them? Peter tells us in verse 8, he says, finally, don't let that throw you. Finally does not mean I'm wrapping this letter up. Whenever you hear me say, okay, church, finally, don't get too comfortable. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love his brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their Prayer, church, God's ear is attentive to your prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? There are five charges that we see here in verse eight. I'm not going to dig into them like we did in life group. Life group leaders, awesome job, by the way. (laughs) Um, Really digging into these five charges. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. The Philadelphia here. Be compassionate and humble. Lee, General Lee was humble. (coughs) All of these have this sense of one another. Loving one another as comrades, as you may have heard this term before as foxhole brothers i know when i'm doing marriage counseling if you ever do if i ever do marriage counseling for me within the very first session inevitably i will say to you you are both on the same team it is the devil that you are fighting not one another and the problem is that it's so easy for us To fight one another, we're going to get into why, but it's easy for us to fight one another. I've heard it said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And you say, ouch, wow. There's truth in that. We don't want that to happen, but it happens. We're going to discover why, but the truth is it happens. And so he's telling us, look, Philadelphia, be compassionate, love one another. There's this sense of compassion, I believe if I'm not mistaken, and it's from a Latin word having passion, love, with, come, sympathetic, it's from a Greek word having pathos or passion or love, sim meaning to someone with someone having passion or compassion for someone, sympathetic, and all of these have this idea of together loving one another. This then, he says, is in the context, all of you. Now, he's not talking to the world. It's easy for us to look out at the world and say, you know what, you just need to be compassionate and love one another and, and rail on them and tell them stop sinning and start doing good. And in essence, we're telling non-Christians to act like Christians. Tell me that's impos- That's not impossible. And, and yet, so here he is saying to the church, this is what you need to be doing. Finally, I'm going to camp out here is what he's saying. You guys, you church, all of you, In the midst of your trials, I need you to love. I need you to love. Brotherly love is like driving on a winding country road. How many of you have ever driven on a winding country road? A new road, newly paved. I love it. Now, if it's on a mountainside, eh, a little scary, but I love the winding roads and you just got to be careful because sometimes you want to see how fast you can go around those curves, right? Are you with me? And, but it's fun. It's exhilarating, and the countryside is beautiful. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, and just a few miles, two, maybe three miles outside where I lived was country, DuPont land. DuPont Estates everywhere, huge, rolling hills, grass, gorgeous. I loved it. And every now and then I would just drive out there and just enjoy the country. However, on this country road, though the scenery is beautiful, twists in the road are exhilarating, you will encounter potholes. They're inevitable. You know, potholes in the Northeast are like the sinkholes here in Florida. You can lose your cars in them. Yeah, there's there's one that's developed. I had a tow truck pull me out of it, but... Uh, Not quite, but the truth is, it's right there in my neighborhood, and I knew it was there. (laughs) I knew it was there. I'd driven by it like every day this past week, and then suddenly the other day, boom, boom. Man, I'm glad I didn't lose my tire. But those sinkholes, those, excuse me, (laughs) sinkholes, those potholes in the road are like these troubles that we encounter. And here's the kicker. Church, those troubles come from one another. In last chapter... Peter talked about the troubles that we can have, slaves, the troubles you can have with your masters, especially when they're harsh and unkind, and he challenges them to, (coughs) excuse me, he challenges them to respond as Christ did, and here, Peter tells them, don't respond Insult with insult. Don't repay evil with evil. You see, this evil and these insults are coming from the church. They're coming from your brother and your sister. And that's when it becomes so hard. We understand when the world acts like little kids throwing bricks. But that can happen with us. And I might even ask a personal question. Have you ever thrown bricks? You may say no, but could recount about 10 people... In your life, who are Christians who have thrown bricks at you, our memories just tend to work this way, don't they? But the truth is, in the body of Christ, we can throw those bricks at each other. And, and Peter is aware of this. So in chapter two, he's talking about the difficulty of trials from outside the church and us doing good in the face of those persecutions and sufferings. And then he says this, this is what you are called to. How many of you believe you have a calling on your life from God? You have a call of God on your life. Scripture tells us that he actually has... Get a look at this, Ephesians 2.10. He says, he is. we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So this would include all of us to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. God has these incredible good works that he has prepared in advance for you for you to walk in, for you to do, for you to practice, live in. God has a call on your life. And I don't just simply mean you believe that you're going to be a pastor one day or an evangelist or a missionary. The truth is, though, we are all missionaries, and this world is the mission field. And every day you go to work, every day you go into the marketplace, you are a missionary. So technically, then, this would include all of us because we are all ambassadors or missionaries for Christ. Wherever we are at. But this call of God is wired specifically for your gifts, for your life experiences. There are going to be some of you who will minister in ways I cannot even dream of or be able to because of the grace God gave you in the midst of tragedies and hurts, through your life experiences that God has used to build and craft these skills and abilities and a heart for certain people and such, and and your calling is unique, and it is from God. And this calling is an amazing calling, and he has given it to every single one of you, and we are unique. In other words, we are different. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're different. Yeah, you're different. And the difference is that call of God and everything that makes it up, that call of God on your life. But this morning, I am talking about a different calling. Actually, I am talking about a calling that is just as great as this call, these good works, ministry opportunities that God has for you. And this call? It says right here, do you see that? Do you see where I'm going with this? In verse 9, he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. I want you to underline that phrase. Could you do that for me in your Bible? To this you were called. This is now the second time that Peter uses this phrase to those that he's writing to. We discovered the first one in chapter 2. In verse 21, maybe back up at the uh, in verse 20, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Just remember in the context of slaves and masters. And again, let me remind you that context of slave and masters is quite different than the context of slave and masters that America has experienced in our past. So we're speaking to something actually quite different, but regardless... How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it? This is commendable before God. Verse 21, to this you were called. Christ even leaving us an example. Church, the call of God on your life is to be able to respond with not retaliation But love with blessing, add to your Philadelphia agape, the sacrificial love that in this case, in the face of brothers and sisters hurting you, that you bless them, that you do good. This is the call of God. And I'm going to say it is as equally great as that special call of God that Ephesians 2.10 has for you. This workmanship, this thing that God is doing in you and preparing and calling you to, that you get to walk out each and every day. This call is in the face of suffering, in the face of hurts, insults, that God, that you respond as Christ would. You see, the nature of hurts is this, that many times they're only perceived they are not real. Regardless, we feel the compulsion, real or simply perceived, we feel the compulsion to defend ourselves, don't we? We feel, I've, I've, got, I've got to set this record straight. You can't say that about me. I've got, I've got to correct you. You know, Stephen in Acts 7, 6 and 7, before he was stoned to death, they made some false accusations and he stood up and he preached the gospel and at the very end he set the record straight however in acts 21 paul is then given an equal opportunity that offense however came from the brothers james comes to him paul's in town in jerusalem and james says you know what it's been this rumor's been spread around that you tell the the uh, the Gentiles to forget about the the law of God and that you have this particular view of the law which was not exactly accurate and Paul chooses not to set the record straight or defend himself at all. Instead, what happens is the Jews, now not the believing Jews, by the way, they were the ones who had these accusations, but the unsaved, the non-Christian Jews attacked him when he entered the temple, and Paul's life suddenly went south. Okay, it eventually curved west, and he ended up in the, Roman, in, in the city of Rome. Regardless, God's hand was on him. He protected him to the point where he was able to proclaim the gospel when he was under house arrest. And, it's, and, and he says it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. And so he had that opportunity. So even though Stephen defended himself, Paul, he did not. He did not. And and I'm just going to let you know, and and by the way, that defense, those were not necessarily attacks. They were, we've heard you say, and so it was just setting the record straight. Some of you have been attacked by others and it's hurt you. We have characterized and judged one another, and God is saying this is wrong. And my question to you is, what are you going to do with that brick? Are you going to throw it back, or are you going to use it to build a firm foundation? I have been in that situation before and said, God, what do I do with this brick? I could be like Stephen. I could say, you know what, I'm going to set the record straight. I hope I would do it with love and compassion. But other times in which he said, you know what, that brick was not intended. That brick was intended for you, but it's not your brick. Lay it down and let me take care of it. I did mention that sometimes hurts are merely perceived hurts. And when we get hurt, I'm just going to caution you. You've heard me say this before. Go inquiring. Ask. Don't assume that their heart was wrong or evil or against you. Go inquiring. Now, the truth is sometimes it is. Sometimes their heart was wrong. And the sad thing is this happens in the body of Christ. And the underlying challenge that Peter gives is the very first thing that you have to do is forgive. You have to be able to forgive. You know, instead of putting people in their place, I've heard it said, put yourself in their place. Did you follow me with that? Put yourself in their place. Don't put them in their place. And I'll have to be honest with you, as your pastor, I have fallen prey to this, and I myself have had knee-jerk reactions. Here's the problem with knee-jerk reactions. Knee-jerk reactions make you a jerk. Okay, now kids, I use that term, do not call your siblings a jerk. It's okay if I at times feel like I act like a jerk because I can go to Christ and he can forgive me for acting like a jerk, but that is never a word that I refer and call other people. So don't ever call people jerks. All right, moms, dads, did I get that straight? Am I okay now? The truth, though, is these knee-jerk reactions, when I give knee-jerk reactions, they make me the jerk. I need to realize that is not the heart of Christ, and I need to learn this truth of forgiving. There's a sign. It says, to err is human. To forgive is not company policy. The, uh, there's a story told by uh, an older lady. She was at her, I guess it was her 50th uh, golden wedding anniversary. And those who were celebrating with her asked her a question, and that was, what is the secret of your happy marriage? And she responded, on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of 10 of my husband's faults that, for the sake of our marriage, I would Overlook. as the guests were leaving, a young wife approached the older lady, and she asked the older woman if she might name some of the faults that she had overlooked. Grandmother responded, to tell you the truth, I never did get around to making the list, but whenever my husband did something that made me hop and mad, I would say to him, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. I want to tell you that this road that Christ, through Peter, is calling us to, that Christ himself took but Peter is calling us to, it is uphill. This high road is uphill. Jesus himself set us the example. Chapter 2 tells us that by the cross. The purpose of the cross wasn't just to access forgiveness for you. We offended God in heaven. He sent Jesus to forgive us, yes, but Jesus went beyond that, and he did something really good for us. The power of the cross is more than just forgiveness. It is now being able to walk in fellowship with Christ, in Christ for Christ. And as a result, we have been rescued out of this old me, this old lifestyle, out of the mud, as the psalmist says, set now on the rock of Christ, and he has given me heaven. He has given me intimacy and fellowship with him. You see, Jesus didn't just forgive. He did say on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And then he proceeded to die for them, for them, for his accusers. This is agape. This isn't just, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet and do what's right here. Jesus fell in love with you. as his enemy. When you shook your fist at God, and you didn't feel like you were shaking your fist at God, perhaps there's some of you, oh, yeah. You most definitely remember those days, angry with God, yelling at God. Some of us, me, I I didn't, but I was lost in my sin, and I shook my fist in God's face every time I chose my way over his. You see, Jesus didn't just say, forgive them, Lord, but he proceeded to die for them and give his life up. And so Peter tells us in the previous chapter, he says, Jesus died for them and he did not retaliate. This word that we come across in chapter two, where we're encouraged to not repay insult with insult, that Greek word for insult, (coughs) excuse me, that Greek word for insult means to revile to slander, to give verbal abuse, to rail. Can I ask you, has anyone ever railed on you? You know what that means? To rail on someone means that it is an accusation, and it's over and over. It is relentless, And this is this idea to rail on them. Regardless of how you're feeling right now, I am venting on you because I am angry with you. And in the face of that, Peter says, don't respond with this railing with like railing. Don't do that. Don't go there. Forgive. And then he says, bless. Do you see that? With blessing. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, railing for railing, but with blessing. So here is our call. This is the call of God on your life. We go around and we bless people. We bless them, and if they despise us, if they spit in our face, even from the body of Christ, we forgive and we bless. We forgive and we bless. The end result then is if we learn to forgive and bless, we will be blessed. So Peter then walks us through this quote from Psalm 34. And I want you to see these two elements here in this psalm that he quotes. Do you want to receive a blessing? Do you want to inherit a blessing? Which is what Peter is saying to them. If you do this, you will inherit a blessing. Do you want to receive a blessing? He says it with these words, though. Would you love life? See good days? If you want to walk in God's blessing, if you want to be blessed, here's what you need to do. He says, don't retaliate. In other words, turn from evil. excuse me, keep your tongue from evil. your lips from deceitful speech. Don't speak those barbs. Don't retaliate. Don't say to them what they said to you. Don't get even. And then he goes on, not just don't retaliate, but he says, do good. Turn from evil, he says, you see it there, do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. And so he's calling us, hey, church, seek peace, seek harmony, seek sympathy, seek to love his brother, seek to have compassion and be compassionate. Seek to be humble before one another. Stop placing your own interests and your own personal value above others. Stop feeling as if you always have to defend yourself and have the last word. I think we just saying something else has the last word, right? We don't need to have the last word. Christ's death on the cross, that's the last word. That's what I need to walk in. I don't care what happens to me. So I'll have to admit, emotionally, I wrestle with it at times to take the high road, even though it's uphill. To take the high road means I forgive and I bless. And as a result, I will be blessed. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles right now to Psalm 133. Now, it's only three verses. It's not long. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it is exactly what Peter's point here is. So we've looked at Psalm 34. That's actually quoted. Now, I want us to look at Psalm 133. Now, give me a, a minute as I am searching for it myself. Here we go. Psalm 133 says it's of David. In verse 1, he says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. That is his main point that he elaborates with the next two verses. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity, even when they throw barbs at each other, even when they hurt one another intentionally or unintentionally, perceived hurt or real hurt, how good it is when we respond with blessing, how good it is when we seek that unity and no matter what, we seek to live in it and walk in it. You know, I just wish that as we seek this unity That both parties would always, always, always want that unity. Unfortunately, because of immaturity in us, that is not always the case. And you may try hard to breed this unity and live it out. And hard as you may try, it may not come. That is sad. You will experience that, I am sure, at least at some point, if not many points in your life. This is because even in the body of Christ, there is still that sin. There is still that corruption. It taints the way we perceive people, perceive words, perceive life. We are always wanting to protect this sense of I am valuable. Even though the truth stands firm like a rock through all eternity, you are valuable. You are infinitely valuable because you are infinitely loved. God's love upon us, He has stamped us with this truth that the devil constantly wants to interrupt and, and, and set aside with this lie. This person's opinion of you is not that way. And we latch onto it and we feel like we have to defend ourselves. So, okay, no. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This is our goal, church. You know, I have often wondered, God, when you penned your word and spoke through godly men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, couldn't you have just made it a little clearer little clearer so that there was absolutely no arguments, no debates, no misunderstandings. We were all completely on the same page theologically, practically, with life. There would be no need to discuss the word because it would just be so plain. I would imagine if that were the case, it would be about 10 times thicker than ours is today. But I believe that behind this, there is a secret plan of God. Can I let you in? I I think there's a secret plan of God. I think that he is purposely worded it this way so that people, fallen people, right or wrong, may take different views. Now, there's only one view of scripture. Don't misunderstand me. There's only one correct interpretation of God's word. But because I am fallible, I might miss it. To keep the unity in the body of Christ means that beyond Jesus Christ, Though I may disagree with you, I will never attack you. Let me just say that one more time. That beyond Jesus Christ, if we hold a different opinion, we can talk about it, sharpen one another, disagree with one another. But we will always love each other. This is our problem. I am right, you are wrong. And it's not just theologically. I don't like the way you're living your life there. You're wrong. Well, please show me from scripture. And, and we have different views. One of them's right, one of the, Now it is possible, both of them are wrong. Both of them can be wrong. Husbands and wives, you know where I'm going with this. We can say, you know what? I really don't like the way you're doing this. And and, and we step on them and we can hurt them and and they take an opposing view. And before you know it, this is not a discussion. This is now a full-blown argument because someone's been offended. And if someone gets offended, eventually the other gets offended. And of course the other person always started it. And so we expect them to do the, the apologizing first. And if they don't, well, you know where that goes. And so there, it's not just husband and wife, but it, it's, it's in the body of Christ. And we get offended. We find it difficult to forgive, and we especially find it difficult to bless in the face of being hurt. But how good and pleasant it is when brothers, husbands and wives included, brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Now, this concept of dwelling together in unity or live together in unity, perhaps the greatest or most difficult place to, to be in unity is in a home. You get to see everyone's backside. You get to see it like every morning, you get to see it all the time, and you are constantly pressed to love in the face of that person's downfalls, that person's ungodliness, that person's hurt why can't they just learn why can't my husband just speak to me lovingly all the time and by the way even when I am a bear why can't he do that why can't she just do this or that or say this why does she have to say it this way and it's so hurtful and before you know it we are not living in unity to dwell it's like under the same roof the most difficult place to live in you that's where i want to see this unity how good and pleasant it is to dwell in unity and then he goes on he he gives us two what we what we call similes like or as and they are in parallel though your version mine doesn't read that way it kind of does but these two similes flesh this out and it says It's like, that is this living together in unity, it's good, living in this good and pleasant pasture, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, who was high priest, by the way, down upon the collar of his robes. Here's the second simile. It's as if the dew of Hermon, that's a mountain, by the way, it's 9,200 feet tall, were falling On Mount Zion, which is only about 2,500 feet tall. For there, on Mount Zion, there on the collar of Aaron's robe, there the Lord. Now the NIV says bestows his blessing. The Hebrew is much stronger than this. It's literally commands, orders, charges his blessing. That is life forevermore. I'm just going to touch on these two and and wrap our time up together. Aaron was called as high priest or as a priest to minister to the people. He needed to be set apart for this. That is anointed to do this and to be anointed to do it powerfully and effectively. Now, in our day, we call that the anointing. The Holy Spirit anoints us for effective ministry. We are set apart. Not that we set ourselves apart, but that God sets us apart. It's his anointing. And this is now God's command of blessing. When you live in unity, he commands his blessing even upon Aaron and thereby sets him aside for powerful ministry. This unity has life, that he commands blessing, and this blessing is life. I truly believe that all of us want blessing, but this blessing is very, it's life. It's not death. It's waking up in the morning and experiencing God's joy. It's going through life, and even in the midst of trials, with this triumphant perspective on life, My God is on the throne, and today I will triumph in Christ. And this, he is now saying, I'm going to command this blessing of life upon you, and it's going to be like that anointing on Aaron, this anointing now on your life to minister life to others. When we dwell in unity, God commands his blessing. Cole, when you When you live in unity with Mike and others, God commands. It's not a suggestion. He commands his blessing on your life and thereby anoints you for ministry, even to those who might potentially hurt you. He commands that blessing because you've chosen to live in unity. How good and pleasant that is. When it comes then to the next simile, the dew on Mount Hermon, you're aware of what dew is, but when you're up in high altitudes like this, I, I've vacationed in the mountains, and it can get like 90 degrees up there. It can get just as hot in the mountain as it can in the valley and it gets, when it gets hot, but at night, it dips much, much colder than it does in the valley. And Mount Hermon, 9,200 feet above sea level, that, that's pretty high. But what happens then with this drastic reduction in temperature is all of that moisture that was in the air it's like God just squeezes it out like a wet rag, and that dew is so thick. The higher the altitudes, apparently, the the greater the dew, the greater moisture, the condensation, like a light rain, and he says, it's that, I'm going to just, it's like God is saying, I'm going to squeeze this blessing. I'm going to wring it out all over your life. See, Mount Zion he, he chooses Mount Zion because that is a metaphor for the people of God and the presence of God in their midst. That's where the temple was. That's where the people of God, there were many times w- when a, a prophet refers to Mount Zion, he's talking about the people of God. And he said, he, even where he says the mountains surround Jerusalem or Mount Zion, so the Lord surrounds his people. And so You are that Mount Zion, and God is taking the dew of Hermon as thick and abundant as that is, that causes abundance and lush uh vegetation to grow he's going to ring that out over your life if you choose to live in unity and so when we come back now to peter he he is challenging us in the face of adversity in face of name calling in the face of just ungodly behavior in the body of christ and this is unfortunate it it may happen but bless and if you do i'm going to anoint you your ministry i'm it's going to be powerful, and you're going to be a, a life-bearer to other people. I'm going to bless others through you. And I am going to pour, as it were, the dew of Hermon upon your life. And you will experience the richness of God's provision. Everywhere you turn, even when it seems as if the finances have been shut off, cry out to me, and God will turn the spigot on. The dew of Hermon? will drench you. I want to live in that type of abundance, in that type of life. But the psalmist says the only way for that to happen is unity. Unity in your home, unity at work with other believers who see employment differently, see you differently. In the church, everywhere, God is asking us, can you always be eager to do good? I'm going to imagine that not too long ago, you may have even written it down, a brick was thrown at you. And my question to you this morning is, what have you done with that brick? What have you done with that brick? Have you chosen to forgive or are you holding on to it? Ready to To throw it at that very person who threw it at you next time a negative word comes out of their mouth. Or are you going to forgive? Forgive means cancel the debt. You owe me nothing, nothing, nothing. That means you're going to drop that brick and you're going to place it squarely at your feet and you're going to do as Christ did and triumph over those insults with blessings. Lay this good foundation, Peter is telling us. Bless others who would hurt you, curse you. And those hurts, they're going to hurt. I don't mean to sound too redundant there, but they're going to hurt, church. That is the reality of it. Can you stand with me? I would like us to be like Aaron, if you will. And I I want God to consecrate us to this. I want God to pour out, as it were, the dew of Mount Hermon upon us as his people. But with this as our goal, that we will make unity our chief objective. Even though we may disagree theologically, it is the gospel, it is Jesus Christ that binds us together in this unity. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Are you seeking peace? Are you seeking reconciliation? Are you seeking to love even when persecuted? I am going to venture to say, can we kill the lights, guys? I'm going to venture to say that some of us here this morning need to forgive and not just forgive because maybe some of you have but you are not responding with blessing may god show us may god teach and show me even in the most difficult of situations how can i speak blessing how can i speak love how can i take this brick and lay a good foundation If God is ministering to you, I'm going to open up these altars this morning and allow the Spirit of God to continue to minister to your hearts. And leaders, if you see people up here, give them a moment to pray. But could you just come up and pray with them if people choose to come up? The unity of the Spirit. It's got to come from him so as we pray right now let's cry out to the spirit of god father the stuff of life has happened and some of it has hurt it has gone deep we've held on to it we've held grudges Perhaps, Father, we are holding that brick in our hand right now and you're saying lay it down. Take the high road, up the hill as it is. Take the high road and forgive and then bless, love, add to your Philadelphia agape and sacrifice. But, Lord, it's hard to know what that should even look like sometimes. And so I'm asking you, Spirit of God, would you bring us to that place of forgiveness? in which we lay down every offense, in which we cancel every debt that we believe someone owes us, would we forgive? Would we not return insult for insult or hurt for hurt? But would you heal us, God? Heal us. And I ask you, Lord, that you would show us now by your Spirit how we can bless, how we can speak lovingly, how we can respond in the heat of the moment with the very words of Christ. We could love even those who at the moment feel like our enemies. Spirit of God would you help us right now we want to walk in that blessing of life we want to walk as, as Aaron was set apart by you for ministry God set us apart as your beloved as those who are called to give blessing in the face of insults God we want to respond as Jesus did help us God and set us apart and ring out as it were from heaven your blessings Every step that we take, God. Every step that we take. Help me to love. Help me not to put others in their place, but to put myself in their place. And understand. Speak words that bring life and not death. This is what I need, God. So heal me that I might minister healing